0: Welcome to the Chapman CG podcast series inspiring and informative conversations with top HR leaders from around the world. So this is Alamate, Managing Director of Chapman CG, covering the America's region. And welcome to our latest podcast series. Now, many HR leaders aspire to be a CHRO. Yet many divisional HR leaders in the number two position often face the equivalent of a glass ceiling trying to break through to the top job. And more often than not, external candidates end up getting selected as replacements, leaving these individuals stagnating in their roles and not getting the key experiences they need and want to make the step up. We are here with Kurt Landon, CEO of HR consulting firm Inspira, to discuss some of the key things you should be thinking about on your journey to the CHRO position and perhaps even finding career satisfaction by a different route altogether. Kurt brings a wealth of international experiences to bear, having worked in significant global HR leadership roles with highly reputable companies such as Accenture, Pfizer, J&J, Expedia, and Biogen. Kurt was also the CHRO of Pinterest before setting up his own business. Kurt, welcome. Would you mind giving us a brief overview of the work you are doing at Inspira and what it brings to the HR community? Absolutely, Alan. We uh, at Inspira we're a boutique HR consulting firm. We started the firm
1: uh, about two years ago, and we work with uh, companies uh, at all different stages of evolution, different sectors, industries, and geographies. And the work we do is really primarily in the strategic human capital space. And we set out to really solve problems in the talent space that have really been left with uh, less than suitable solutions, sort of those uh, things about HR talent and culture that uh, sort of leave us scratching our heads, Uh, things like performance management, uh, inclusion and diversity, uh, talent management, uh, attrition and retention, manager capability and effectiveness, to name a few. And uh, our business is really growing because I think we're tapping into something in the market. Uh, There's a special role for HR practitioners to play who sit outside the organization. And perhaps we can talk a little bit more about that. But um, that's a little bit about uh, what we're doing with our clients right now.
0: Being a global HR citizen and having networks and, and working with hundreds of HR leaders over your career, you're in a very unique position to be able to offer this insight. Do you see that most are still following the traditional route into a CHRO role?
1: Well, you know, it's a great question, Alan. I I would say it's a bit of a tale of two cities. There's sort of two camp aspiring HR leaders who have a desire to be uh, one day in the top job, such as a chief human resources officer or a chief people officer. There are a number of individuals who are uh, gaining key experiences in larger organizations. These are often global MNCs where there are big divisional number two HR roles reporting into the head of HR and they're working their way through the labyrinth of these large organizations in hopes of being in the succession pipeline plan for the top job and to get that job one day and if not getting that job there that they would perhaps get a similar job to the top job in a, in a peer organization. And and I really was one of those individuals for many years. And again, we can talk a little bit more about that, but that's mm-hmm. one camp. The other camp, uh, I would say, are the individuals who at some point uh, sort of uh, jump ship, so to speak, and take a step back in terms of scale of organization. Maybe they go to a a startup or a much smaller organization Uh, to immediately move into that top job. So they maybe are in a number two or number three HR job in a big organization. They leave and maybe go to a startup uh, and immediately are in that head of HR job, which may or may not, by the way, have that chief of nomenclature title, Um, but they're getting that experience, albeit in a smaller context. And and so I really see sort of a a bit of a tale of two cities
0: in in that way. Looking at CHROs and looking at business leaders who are, Assessing kind of readiness into the top job for people in the number two position, what can they do? What, what can they offer in terms of advice, in terms of guidance to enable their number twos to be, be succession ready?
1: Well, you know, there are a collection of key experiences that I think uh, these number two HR leaders who have these big divisional jobs really need to get exposure to um, and get under their belt in order to be not only ready to take on that job but to even stand a chance of uh, being able to put their best foot forward in a selection process for one of these top jobs whether it be the internal process when that that top job becomes available in their current organization or if they're interviewing for the top job for an external organization A, a great example of this would be Uh, executive compensation and board work. Mm -hmm. And this is a really interesting one because throughout my career, uh, especially once I became an HR executive and I was in a variety of number two HR roles, that was always sort of this elusive thing. Uh, The CHROs Mm -hmm. I worked for and headhunters and other individuals would always say, you really are going to need to get exposure to work and executive compensation if you want to be a Chief Human Resources Officer one day. and I would say, "Great, let's get started. Let me help you." Why don't I be your sort of equivalent of an intern and help you prepare for board meetings? Yeah. or you know maybe you can walk me through and show me you know t- kind of peel the curtain back so I can see what this mysterious thing is. And, you know, the answer was always very consistent, even though I worked for so many great HR leaders. So it's not an indictment of them. It's just to say that by nature of what it is, it's very confidential because you're dealing with CEO pay and C-suite pay mm-hmm. and board dynamics can be challenging and complicated. And so it's a really big deal to take someone in who's not part of the C-suite and who's not the chief human resources officer herself or himself and expose them to that sensitive work. But without that, you don't have the requisite experience you need to be able to get that top job. And then it's this cycle we all know all too well, regardless of what field one is in, which is you need the experience to get the job and to
0: get the job, you need the experience. And so it's a bit crazy making certainly attest to that speaking with HR leaders in the market for those frustrations. Just on the, the international piece, I mean, do you feel that that, that is a, an experience that, that is necessary and increasingly maybe a must-have to sort of step up into an number one role?
1: Well, you know, a great question, Alan, and I'll I'll maybe provide two different answers because I think it depends what type of chief human resources or chief people officer role the individual envisions getting if you stay the course uh, you know if you're in a big divisional number two job with a global multinational corporation and you stay the course end up hopefully getting that top job or a comparable job with another global multinational corporation then absolutely no doubt if you don't have that global experience i think you'll be very ill-equipped to run the people function for a global organization Additionally, it's not enough to have global experience. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of people will say they have global experience. And what they mean is they support, let's say, internal parts of the organization that are outside of the US, but they do that from the US if we're talking about an, an American based company, or that they are handling a process or a project, you know, let's say performance management on a global scale. Also, Considered global experience, but when I say global experience, and when you ask the question, I believe we're, what we're thinking is living and working in a country outside of one's sort of native country, and and I think that experience is very different from just having global scope of responsibility. You know, I was sort of brought up in my life the way I was raised to be a citizen of the world and study and work and live in as many different regions and countries as possible, and I. I yeah, maybe took that too far It's probably spent more time outside of the U.S. than I did in the U.S. But that really, I think, enriched my skill set as well as my worldview. And it's not the same as, as just having global scope of responsibility. But if you are in that other camp and your intention is or your decision is to go head up HR for a startup, it may be many years before that startup operates globally. Even then, I would say, I think just to be a citizen of the world these days, having that worldview informed by living and working abroad cannot hurt and most certainly can help. Because even a lot of these yeah. startups, while they may not have operations outside of the U.S., they may be working with a contract manufacturer in China or a they may have some kind of fulfillment center in a country outside of the U.S. Um, or a key vendor who's not American. And so having that cultural agility and competence will be really important.
0: Fantastic. Now, thanks. Thank you for sharing all of that. For sure. Um, yeah. The sort of group of individuals who are sort of seeing that number two position, it, it's not kind of working out for them in terms of stepping up as quickly. What, what other avenues are open to them to maybe then sort of maybe take a side step into and then up into a CHRO role or, so, or something different?
1: Well, I think, you know, part of what I've learned, and, and I think it took me a while to really appreciate this, is I do think there can be value in considering this alternate path of uh, perhaps leaving the large global multinational corporation divisional HR executive jobs maybe earlier than one would it would normally anticipate and not just waiting around indefinitely in hopes of getting that top job. I think there should be a bit of a time box to that. If if achieving kind of that aspiration of being in the top job is important, you know, some people may not have that aspiration, in which case I don't know that my advice would apply. But if the individual wants to be a CHRO or CPO one day, then I think she or he should really consider, okay, I'm going to be in one, maybe maximum two uh, divisional HR executive jobs, those number two jobs and I'm going to give it roughly this amount of time, you know, two years, three years, four years per job, but but overall kind of cap that. And if they're not able to break through this sort of glass ceiling of sorts that you talked about in, in the introduction, then I think considering this alternate path could make sense and to step out of that world and to try and secure one of these head of HR jobs for a small startup. And that comes with its own set of challenges, but. I would say about 75% of our clients are HR leaders, first-time HR leaders who've made this actual choice. And what I am observing is this incredible time of hyper-growth and development and enrichment in their skill sets by taking that leap. And I think they bring with them the experience and exposure that they got from working in larger organizations and learning from these great HR leaders who lead the function for these global multinational corporations. But now it's their time to really learn for
0: themselves and do some of that work that really can only be done once you're in that top job. Thank you. So, And we're seeing that as well out there in the market that more and more individuals are looking to move into that job earlier in career as opposed to you know, maybe after 25, 30 years we're certainly seeing that shift down to, you know, 18, 19, 20 years, people wanting to put their hand up to take that, that chance. So
1: you bring up a good point about the time duration, you know, and at the risk of my intentions not to be self-gratifying, but I, after 21 years in my career, I was still one of these individuals, you know, at that point in my fifth big number two HR executive divisional job with a big global multinational corporation always a bridesmaid, never a bride. When is it going to be my turn to be able to move into that top job? And what I started seeing was people who had worked for me on my teams as HR directors and HR managers who really had, they were leapfrogging me. They they were making that choice to go out there and accelerate getting into that top job while taking a step back in terms of size or scale of organization. And now, some of those individuals who worked for me 15 years ago, they've already been CHROs and CPOs for five, six, eight, 10 years. And so, you know, once they get the first one under their belt with one of these smaller organizations, then they start working their way back up in terms of larger and larger CHRO or CPO roles. And I see some of the individuals who didn't make that move. And they're still in these big number two jobs uh, with these really large organizations. And maybe one day they'll be selected as VHRO, and maybe they won't. But they seem to just be continuing to sit at that number two level. And I have no doubt they have incredibly rich development and experiences even in those roles. But I would say the world needs them out there. There's a need for really great HR leaders now more than ever, and I know you're seeing that in your practice, and so there's demand for them out there, and I would encourage them to maybe take that risk and consider uh, taking that
0: alternate path. We're seeing very much that. So I mean, having such a varied experience, and you've obviously worked with many leaders, business leaders, HR leaders all around the world. Looking back and thinking, you know, what, what advice would, would you have liked to have received then earlier on in your career about building maybe into that transition, or more broadly, a kind of successful HR career? to
1: build really authentic and deep relationships with hr search firms you know i think uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. some hr leaders who are sort of mid stage or even are at that you know at the, in those big number two jobs i think they they see that contact with uh, search firms perhaps as you know when i need them i will call or i'll pick up their call when i'm looking Almost perhaps like what you would do with, say, an estate agent or real estate agent if you have to buy or sell a home. And I remember receiving advice from one of my mentors and former uh, bosses, Ken DiPietro, who was the CHRO at, at Biogen. And is just an amazing leader, and he gave me the advice. He said, "Build those relationships. You can learn a lot from, you know, quite frankly, people like you, Alan. Um, and obviously, these are individuals who are incredibly well connected, and build that relationship over the course of years and decades. And then, yes, there's perhaps the opportunity to establish mutual benefit uh, for a placement at some mm-hmm. point. But there are lots of great things that can come from that." that relationship building. And, you know, you you can do that, obviously, with with more than one one firm, uh, you know, as long as you're being transparent and authentic. So I think that's one piece of advice. I think certainly the age old advice of, you know, sometimes the indirect path to climb um, Mm -hmm. is is still the right path because it's an enriching one. And no doubt I could have uh, found I mean, it took me 20 three years before I became uh, a CHRO in that top job. I'm sure that I could have kind of reached that point much faster, but I also made a choice to live and work all over the world as we talked about. I made a decision mm-hmm. to support every single function in an organization and to work in almost every COE there is because I thought that would make me a more effective leader later. And actually see that really playing out now in our practice, in our firm, because our clients hopefully benefit from those global experiences and functional experiences that I had. Um, Also, I would say lastly, uh, getting experience outside of the HR function, I think, is is key. So I did have the opportunity when I was at Expedia to uh, both work in the HR function, but also do work outside of the HR function. Uh, for the company, company's India expansion program and play a leadership role with that. Similarly, at Biogen, I was able to uh, help um, uh, with one of the offs and take a company public. And so these were, you know, experiences that really enabled me to build my business acumen uh, and show my leadership capability. So I think those are additional things, pieces of advice I would give, even if in the short term they, they, they seem to slow things down a little bit.
0: Looking at sort of, you know, broadly what companies should be thinking about now then um, and, t- and taking action on now, um, maybe with individuals who they are seeing kind of rising up and maybe being a bit restless, is there anything you could you know, you're happy to share there?
1: I'll back into my answer by saying what, I, what I've observed and experienced is that, uh, you know, a lot of cases, and, and I'm not going to lie, I also certainly did this with people who worked for me, You you have these great people working for you who are starting to get restless and declare their aspirations to be in the top job. Mm -hmm. And um, And I think, uh, you know, you want to retain those individuals in the organization. You don't want them to leave. Um, I, I had a bit of a different uh, approach and mindset, and this is certainly one I would recommend, which is uh, that It's not only what's best for the company, um, you really need to think about what's best for that individual, and perhaps it's not best for the company if the individual isn't really getting their needs met, because then that person may not be fully engaged or bringing their full uh, self to work. And I also just happen to think it's not great karma to keep people sort of trapped in a role and going to help them achieve their aspirations, I think. We need to support these individuals sort of in the name of building capability in this wonderful field of HR. So um, so I would say uh, being willing to let people move on um, or even give them a push if that's what's best for them. I think, um, as we talked about earlier, uh, taking the risk selectively with the right people to bring them behind the curtain on sensitive and confidential tasks like board work and executive compensation. Um, So that, you know, or C-suite dynamics so that they can get the experience they're going to need to be able to stand a fighting chance as a candidate uh, for uh, one of these top positions. I think that's something that makes sense. And I think also being more authentic with people about how probable it is, not just possible, but how probable it is that they will ultimately be selected for the top job within their current organization. You know, I think there's there's language that I heard so many times for so many years at so many companies of, you know, I'm not just hiring you to be an HR vice president for this division. Mm-hmm. I'm hiring for my successor, and I don't plan to be here forever, and I could see you coming in, doing this job for a couple of years, and then, you know, being my backfill when I move on. Um, and who doesn't like to hear that? But, again, I, mm-hmm. I didn't really ever see that come to fruition, not just for myself, but for others as well. And so I think there's a more authentic version of that, which is I'm also hiring to build my succession pipeline. There's no guarantee that you'll get that job, but there's certainly a lot of reasons why you might. And what I commit to you is that I'm going to help you grow and develop and be a viable candidate for my role, but I'm also going to help you grow and develop so that if for whatever reason you're not selected for that role, Um, I will let you know that I think it's time for you to move on and you will emerge with skills and experiences that will set you up well to be a viable candidate for other top jobs. And so I'm signing up to sort of sponsor and help you get a job like mine, whether it's here or somewhere else. And I think that's a bigger commitment, but I
0: also think that's what is needed and is really missing on this issue you are establishing then a, a longer term relationship with that individual, aren't you, just out of respect and for, for their own career aspirations and if they were to sort of move on and, you know, you cross, part, you cross paths again down the, down the road, you know, they will certainly sort of remember and respect that. And I think that's, that's a fantastic approach.
1: Right. Well, and, um, you know, Alan, I think there there are also, it just came to mind, but I think there, there are some specific things where if, if the HR leader in the top job is not ready to move on yet, There are things that the HR leader can do to really accelerate the uh, development and capability of those number two HR leaders who work for them, in addition to just uh, sort of taking them behind the the curtain on some of these sensitive topics. You know, when I was leading the HR function at Pinterest, uh, I took my two highest potential uh, successors, kind of top talent individuals for my role. And I wasn't planning on leaving soon. And what I did is I reorganized the HR function and created two head of HR roles, one for one side of the business, the technology organization, and one for the other side for the corporate functions and the commercial Mm -hmm. organization. And then I had all the different COEs, such as recruiting and talent management, et cetera, divided into two and had those people report up to these two emerging Mm -hmm. leaders. And so they were basically each running the HR function for the equivalent of a thousand-person company, each with an intact, diverse HR team under her. And that's very different because the divisional HR leadership roles typically only have oversight over one COE or an HR business partner function. And that doesn't give you the experience you need to be able to run the entire function end to end. So in this case, even though I wasn't ready to leave yet, I felt really good about the fact that these individuals would be more viable as successors for my role when I did leave or for comparable roles elsewhere. Because when they're in an interview and they said, have you ever run recruiting? Yes. Well, how did you run it? Did you actually have solid line responsibility? Yes, I did. Recruiting, talent management, employer relations, all these functions reported up into me. And so they were better situated after that.
0: Thank you. That was Kurt Landon of HR consulting firm Inspira, sharing his perspectives on the route to the top job and how HR is leading through challenging times. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, subscribe to our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.